You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. I never get tired of that intro, even though this is Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and we have another great show planned for you. And Why would you say I could say that? Because Kevin Murphy is our guest. He is the CEO of Valuable Capital Securities. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks for the intro, Rick. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Let's start with your original motivation, or we could call it inspiration, to start this firm, Valuable Capital Securities. I'd love to say that uh, I was uh, entrepreneurial uh, jumping out there, but I'm not sure that's completely true. a lot of our industry around 2010-ish moved from Southern California back to New York. And I had to make a decision to either move my family back to New York to continue uh, in what I was doing or find a way to start businesses out here. So the last 15 years-ish, I've started broker-dealers in California, and uh, that's the way I've been able to keep me and my family in California, thank God. So this isn't your first rodeo? It's not. This is probably about the third or fourth broker dealer I've started here in California now in the last 15 years. Okay, so you're prolific. And uh, let's let me ask you then, because I believe in experience as the best teacher in business. Uh, what lessons have you learned since you're kind of now a serial entrepreneur? Yeah, I've learned a couple of things. Now, a lot of the, the, the groups I have to deal with are government agencies, so they can be difficult to deal with. Uh, I've learned that to get things done, you got to persevere and you got to move up the chain working with government entities. And I think I really learned to be patient, unfortunately. I think if we were talking 15 years ago, I didn't have the patience they have today, but I've certainly learned to be patient. So has the industry over those 15 years, has it changed fundamentally? Is it the same? It's fundamentally changed a lot. Uh, If we were talking before, I would say 15, 20 years ago, it was more an investment industry. It's now a trading industry. It seems like the new group, the younger kids are much more trading oriented as opposed to investment uh, oriented. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. Well, I think we see that in the meme stocks and they, it's, it's sort of like a, like a game. They're playing a game. Yeah. And that, that, that can be good or bad. I don't know yet, but times are different now with money being more expensive. So let's see. Uh, So, so let's, let's talk about your firm. You, 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 Explain to us what it is actually that Valuable Capital Securities does. Sure. What 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 we try and do, the U.S. market is pretty uh, mature as it is today. And I think it's difficult for a new broker deal to step in and really try and take a piece of the U.S. market. That's owned by the Goldmans and the Schwabs and everybody you know. So what we're really going to try and do is bring international investors into the United States. Um, you know, a lot of those people have no opportunity to save for retirement to build for retirement the u.s market is a phenomenal opportunity for that and so we've opened open broker dealers in singapore malaysia we're now in saudi arabia and our real goal is to open u.s markets to the rest of the world that's never had that opportunity so how different is it to establish establish entities in those countries versus what you know and what you've done for 15 years here in the u.s right we certainly need to get people on the ground who understand that market better than I do. Now, the United States, I'd like to say, I don't know, there's many people who understand building a brokerage in the United States better than I do, but definitely we're in Saudi Arabia now and we had to hire local people that knew that market 
obviously better than we do and they're helping us get the situation off the road. Are services like we take for granted because you use some B to C names that I think people would know, Schwab certainly being one of them and the others, LPL, but um, are, are there similar entities in those countries as well or is this kind of a new idea when you go into those markets? It depends where you're talking. If we're in Hong Kong or even Singapore or Tokyo, certainly those places exist that, that, that invest in U.S. markets. But if we're in Malaysia or India or Saudi Arabia, in fact, there's no broker dealers in Saudi Arabia that give those people access to the United States. So there's some people, places that, yes, we're, we're brand new. That, that, that's almost unthinkable, Kevin, that at this day and age, with us having the largest economy in the world and then also, you know, the, some of the largest exchanges, that those people wouldn't have access to that. The rest of the world isn't unlike the United States. I'm going to say here, uh, if you're a multi-bazillionaire in one of those places, yes, you can you have access to the U.S. <laughs> if you're yeah. Joe Blow making, you know, 10 grand a year, you have no access to the U.S. markets. If you're in China, if you're in India, if you're in Saudi Arabia, it's extremely difficult for those people to get access to our markets. Are, are you finding, because you talked about government entities here in the U.S. having to work through the labyrinth and kind of, we talked earlier about how the squeaky wheel many times in organizations get the grease, get the attention. What are you finding? How receptive are other countries' organizations to this idea and to what you want to do? It really depends where you are. Uh, in India, they're very receptive. In Saudi Arabia, it's unbelievably receptive. They've poured so much money into infrastructure to gain U.S. markets. If we were talking China, unfortunately, I would say the exact opposite thing. They don't want to see a penny leave their country, and it's pretty difficult to get our situation built up there. We're making strides, but it's difficult. And, and so why do you fight the good fight in China? Is it because of the size of the potential client base? It's twofold for me, definitely, Rick. The size of the client base is ridiculous. But also, I, if I'm a worker in China, I have no ability to put away for retirement. If we could help those people take their $4,000 that they have stuck under their mattress and get them in U.S. markets where they could get some growth and some retirement, that matters to me. So it's twofold. So, so do you, uh, I know this is kind of a nascent effort that you're doing, but are you not, there are people in our country who I believe don't really understand what it means to save for the future and how to use investment vehicles like you're talking about. Are you, are you in touch with the people at the, the retail level to know how they approach or understand what you're offering? Uh, do so you mean like in a place like China or here in the United yeah, States? Yeah, no, 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 a place like Saudi Arabia or India. You know what I found by my travels, and you've probably found the same thing. People around the world are all the same. Everybody wants a, a white picket fence and a nice house and a couple of kids. I don't care if I'm Chinese, Indian, wherever. It's the governments that are the problem, whether it's the U.S. government, the Chinese government, or the Indian government. So a typical person in china wants exactly what we want rick they want the ability to put some money away and save and retire one day and we're trying to give that to them but the idea of doing that in a foreign market like in the u.s it, it, do you think they see the potential there is like do you think seeing america and the riches maybe assumed by our country and other countries is that an attractive idea for people they still have the idea that the streets are painted with gold in the United States. So, yes, giving <laughs> well, they, them access. They are to, in places like Dana Point, for God's yeah, sakes, you, go. you know. But giving them access to buy Apple or buy, you know, they, they could buy an Apple phone. They could use Microsoft products, but no ability to invest in those companies. So, yes, they have a pie in the sky dream that if they get this opportunity, 
they're going to get the opportunity the United States people have had. So we said this isn't your first rodeo. You've been in this place for 15 years, creating these brokerage firms. You've done it a number of times before. What do you think is the trajectory of valuable capital securities? Is this is a couple of years stint for you as well, or is this? This one's think? different for me. Uh, wow. Everyone else I've met has been, and I, there's nothing wrong with this, has been extremely entrepreneurial and wanted to grow their piece for their own sake, which is uh -huh. fine. This is a lot more uh, for me helping people. So I haven't stepped into any of the previous ones as a CEO in a while. I'm excited to be the CEO of this place. I think we have the ability to change a lot of things. That's interesting. So it's sort of... Uh altruistic a little bit i hear it, it is i've been fortunate i've had a great life um and i'm you know i'm proud of that but now to have the opportunity to try and give back and I'm, look it's not completely altruistic yes if i can grow <laughs> it, successful, that's great also but i, I do uh -huh. think there's an opportunity to do both yeah and it's while it's the same it's different because you're opening up other markets which i assume previously you've been mostly u.s focused Exactly. We have been just focused or focused on markets that already exist, like Hong Kong, like Tokyo, like, but this is, these are new markets that don't exist for US, USA. Okay. Wow. Well, good for you. Uh, let, let's, let's turn our attention away from you and from your firm to sort of your industry. And in, in your sense, having been in this space for a while, are, are there secrets to success in the industry that you observe? Something you want to share that's kind of common that, you would like to talk to us about? I'm not. I'm not sure I should share this, but yes, I would like to. To be honest with you, that something in our industry that has frustrated me forever, and every brokerage does it, whether it's Charles Schwab or Goldman Sachs or whoever, will tell an investor, take two hundred dollars out of your check every week, put it in the market. It's going to grow six percent over lifetime. You'll be great. It takes nothing for a firm to tell you that. They, what they take five dollars out of your two hundred dollars, and they make money every quarter. If they can get a million people to do that. It's a great business model. Unfortunately, it's not true. Um, if you look at the great investors of our time, uh, Warren Buffett, you can get his portfolio online. Punch up Warren Buffett's uh, portfolio. 80% of his holdings are in five or six stocks. He's not diversified. Uh, Michael Burry, the guy who found the uh, housing bubble in 2008, he's got 75 of his money in two stocks. If you use Amazon every day, you use Google every day. You, you do other things I don't know. The average person knows a good company and a bad company. You don't need to hand your money to Schwab where they put it in the S&P 500 where you're diversified. They steal five, 10 bucks off you and then you're getting the same as everybody else on the planet. I think everyone's smart enough to figure out a company that makes sense to them, invest in that company and do much better than the 6%. I'll give you an example. My mother knows zero about stocks, zero. <laughs> All she buys is Microsoft. She's buying it for 20 years. She puts money in it every day. She buys it. And she's made a phenomenal amount of money compared to, uh, you know, 6% across the board. Okay. So I, I'm going to spend just a minute sitting on that, if I will, with you, because I'd like to, I'd, well, I just want to compare that philosophy to what we started talking about at the open, which are these meme stocks and the gamification of investing. I mean, how, how do you separate? What's the difference between those two? Um, every the kids that are trading now, I would deem them as day traders. Every okay. about ninety five percent of day traders lose money. It's 
it's a it's a fact unfortunately it's impossible to buy a stock day to day in and out and know when it's going up and when it's going down but over a longer period of time you can look at a microsoft and realize that's a good company and only buy microsoft there's days microsoft's going to go down three dollars because it had bad news well if you're day trading and you love the stock and you catch the day it's down three dollars you're gonna lose money but over the long haul if you invest in good companies that you know that are good you're not going to get hurt on those up and down days you're going to invested in a good company over a long time so you agree with the idea of buy and hold but where you believe the difference is is rather than a basket of diversified investments concentration on companies that you believe are strong and good over the long term are going to be being invested in costco microsoft apple amazon walmart might be a better strategy exactly a hundred percent and Peter, Peter Lynch used to say, and you can't do this anymore, but he would go to the mall and go shopping. And his daughter and all of his girlfriends would be in the limited, and there'd be a three-hour line at the limited to buy, buy skirts, and he knew that was a good buy. You can't do that anymore, unfortunately, but you do enough online and other stuff to know what's a good company and what's not. So you're really saying there's a simpler way to do it than even a basket of diversified investments that track the market and index funds etc correct but don't tell everybody else i said this i'm going to get phone calls and get in trouble but yes <laughs> well they might be listening i don't know i can't control who care who cares but okay well that that's interesting perspective and i thank you for being brave enough to share share sure. that with us is there a piece of business advice that you could pass along to my audience today um you know i, I I go by this, and some people might disagree, but I, I started with the Schwab Corporation, and Charles Schwab was there at a younger age, and I talked to him in the beginning. And was one of my first days, he said, uh, I want you to work on your resume and finish it up today. Didn't make any sense to me, but I did. I was a young kid. He said, are you done? And he said, I want you every day thinking about the next opportunity. He said, I hope you're here for the next 20 years. That'd be phenomenal. But I always want you to have an open mind and other stuff out there and be available and open to do other things. And so I kind of look at that when I hire people, I want someone who wants my job. Um, no, I, I don't want somebody stabbing in the back and take my job, but I want a CEO type attitude that that is a go getter that wants to do the next thing that wants to grow. And so I hire people that way. And I've always lived that way, looking for the next opportunity. Not not the grass is always greener, but always open minded. Right. Right. Well, that was interesting. And th that's pretty impressive that you were able to have a personal interaction with Charles Schwab. So I'm sure today he would have no idea who I was. <laughs> Those 15 seconds he did. Hey, and that's the power that some people have in other people's lives. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah that's my wife's a teacher. And many times when we do workshops with business executives and we ask them share someone in your life who had a positive impact but isn't a family member right many times it's a religious leader or a pre-teacher or someone you know right. or just a passing person in that case all right so let's let's now look at the all interesting topic of artificial intelligence you know it's so it has become such a part of the zeitgeist now right. uh, here in 2023 i'm wondering from your perspective in your industry, what do you see the potential impact for AI being? It scares the heck out of me. And I hope that's just, not just because I'm from an older generation. I mean, 
the kids, I'm sure, are going to fall in love with it. But there's AI things today that you can ask what stock I should buy, analyze the market, and it'll kick back you 10 great stocks. And I just think, for me, it misses the whole personal touch. When I meet with a company or a person, I want to know, you know, is your wife pregnant? Do you have two kids? Are you making a big money purchase next week? I got to know everything about this person. Half of it's personal. Are you really aggressive? Are you not aggressive? Yeah, you can click a box and say I'm not aggressive, but I know you. I, I know you're not aggressive. <laughs> so the AI is going to take the whole personality out of it, and I, I think it's a horrible thing. I think a robot cannot read everything that, that a personal conversation or a personal relationship knows. Do you think there's a risk that AI also would take out some of the job opportunities? Oh, definitely. Field? I mean, definitely. The younger generation is going to grasp that stuff a lot better than we do or I do. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, I, there's no reason to have 20 analysts when I can have a computer analyzing things all day. And I don't think it's good. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people your industry employs, but I do know how many wealth managers I've run into and know right. here in Southern California. And, right. you know. Maybe bankers are first, but you know, not too far behind them are wealth professionals. And so, right. you know, and those are many times well-paying positions over time. You build annuities and right. kind of residuals. So, and uh, you know, we're talking our industry, but it's going to have an effect everywhere. Um, and I, you know, I'm old school. I think the personal relationship matters. Okay, I think so too. Yeah. Well, time will tell, won't it? And uh, the thing that I know from doing this show and talking with entrepreneurs like you is it's touching uh no entrepreneur has yet to say oh ai is not going to affect my industry <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. it has that potential okay a couple more questions for you my friend uh let's look to tomorrow what you're going to be back on the show at some point what's going to be different with valuable capital securities uh i really think we have an opportunity to grow like crazy and the, mm -hmm. a lot of the reason is it uh you know i talked to some about those legacy firms, a lot of those legacy firms are on legacy systems. They're on old mainframe systems that they've tried to band-aid together to work for today. And they work, but we haven't done that. Uh, our systems are from the 2000s. They're Windows-based. They're SQL-based. We can move pretty quickly with them. So we talked about personnel earlier. I, a lot of those firms need two, 300 people to run the department I'm running. I'll probably have 2025 which causes a lot of price pressure for other people. It gives us a huge advantage. So I think the next time I'm on, this is going to be a pretty big growth company, not only because we're open in the world, but from a technology standpoint, I think we're way ahead of everybody else. How do you measure growth? What do you, when you say growth, what is that? Is that revenue? What, what is it? Growth really for us is assets under management. Okay. AUM. Uh, assets we can gather from, from retail or institutional customers. That's really how I gauge our business. Okay. And that, that's a pretty common metric that most financial, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if I can get Rick's assets, I'm sure that gets me way ahead of the game. Well, quickly. there you go. You know, there's a few, there's a few shakers and movers in Southern California, baby. You there want to you get go. them first. Everybody there wants the high net worth folks. There so if someone would like to connect with you on LinkedIn or learn more about valuable capital securities, where do they go? How do they do that, Kevin? I'm definitely wide open. So if you get to my LinkedIn and send me a, uh, a, a note, I'll definitely get back to the kind of person I am. But also we have a really good website, uh, Valuable Capital Securities. Uh, either of those, you can find information on us, definitely. Thoroughly enjoyed our time together. It's gone by very quickly. I see time is kind of winding down the sand in the hourglass. So I want to 
thank you for being a friend and giving of your time and sharing your vision for your company. I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it. And I'd like to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. And uh, Kevin's interview is in the catalog of over 1400 podcasts that we've done over the years. Got to check it out. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you have a story you'd like to share with our audience, then reach out to me. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I on LinkedIn. And coincidentally, that's my website as well, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions move your company in a positive direction.